This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We had our Pledge Drive show last week, of course, and we're happy to report that we got very close to making our goal. We're going to keep uh, the lines open for another week or two, and there's every reason to believe we will hit the $60,000 target. I want to make a special, uh, special note of thanks to Tim out in Wilton, who kicked in a large pledge to make sure we would meet our $1,000 target, which would then allow us to get matching funds, which we were able to do. So, uh, Tim, thank you very much for your very generous pledge, which I, I don't mind mentioning was $800. You are the man, Tim. <laughs> Just proud to Mr. McMillan ask, who is that guy? And, and in response, I, well, he's, he's never sent us an email, so all we know is he's uh, just a, a great benefactor. We also want to thank the good people at Doctors Clinic for Men who were able to make that, uh, that matching pledge and help us get a very, very respectable total. I think it was $2,300, $2,400. Thanks to all of you. We have also a very special deferred guest, or actually two of them on, on today's program, Mary Roach came to UC Davis last week and talked about her wonderful new book, Bonk, subtitled The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex. Some of you may have caught her lecture here at uh, the Beeler Center, the alum- UC Davis Alumni Center here. And uh, good talk, good book, and we're happy to talk to her at length about it in our second segment today. And given that last week's program on uh, on the 20. 20- Third was, in fact, uh, the, the traditional birth date of William Shakespeare. We brought back Mark Anderson, the author of Shakespeare by Another Name, to give us a bit of an update on, on the question of, uh, of the, author, well, the authorship question about Shakespeare. Last week was the, uh, the traditional birth date of William Shakespeare, and we're happy to report that we're going to bring back Mark Anderson. We recorded Mark last week to, to do on the pledge drive, but weren't able to get to it due to time constraints. So let's get around to starting this program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question today, of course, is the 30th of April. It was on April 30th in 463 B.C. that a total eclipse of the sun over Thebes prompted the Greek poet Pindar to write, O star supreme, reft from us in the daytime, why hast thou perplexed the power of man and the way of wisdom by rushing forth on a darksome track. And that, of course, is what's known as a rhetorical question, because I think even Pindar knew it was the moon. And we'd add that we are definitely not qualified to judge whether that is, in fact, good poetry. We, we, we will ask Dr. Andy Jones next time he appears on the show. But it strikes me as odd that uh, on the same date in 59 AD, there was another eclipse in the Mediterranean area. In this case, uh, the sun cast Italy into temporary darkness. The Roman naturalist Pliny witnessed the event, and the historian Tacitus later embellished what transpired. According to Tacitus, a woman gave birth to a snake. Another was killed by a thunderbolt in her husband's embrace. Then the sun was suddenly darkened, and the 14 districts of the city were struck by lightning. Now, having traveled to witness four total eclipses of the sun, I do feel I have enough expertise in the area to state that Tacitus did indeed embellish the event. 
Solar eclipses do not cause women to give birth to reptiles. It was on April 30th in 1494 when Christopher Columbus, during his second voyage to the New World, dropped anchor in Cuba. His men soon discovered a strange activity being practiced by the natives, and that was, begin- that was the beginning of what we know as cigar smoking. Cuban cigars, of course, remain popular this very day. Our own governor is known to smoke them in his smoking tent adjacent to the Capitol building, located here in nearby Sacramento. On this date, in 1789, George Washington was sworn in as the first president of the United States. No, that was not in Washington, which had not even been built yet, but was in New York City. And finally, it was on April 30th in 1945 that Adolf Hitler committed suicide in his Berlin bunker by swallowing cyanide and shooting himself with his service revolver. This event was uh, cloaked somewhat uh, in mystery by the Russians who, after all, uh, had invaded Berlin at that point um, at the behest of Joseph Stalin, who wanted to keep the world guessing as to whether Hitler might have escaped, which did allow the Weekly World News, the now-defunct Weekly World News, to have a headline uh, circa 1990 announcing that Adolf Hitler, age 100, was alive and in Argentina. Our quote of the day comes from uh, former President Ronald Reagan, who once said, Politics is not a bad profession. If you succeed, there are many rewards. If you disgrace yourself, you can always write a book. And no, Ronald Reagan was not referring to the upcoming book to be written by George W. Bush, but he certainly could have been. Our quip of the day comes from the Russian playwright Anton Chekhov, who once said, A good upbringing means not that you won't spill sauce on the tablecloth, but that you won't notice it when someone else does. Our, uh, our joke of the day comes from uh, Jimmy Fallon, who I guess has just taken over late night from Conan O'Brien. Said Fallon, Bill Clinton and George W. Bush will appear together on stage in Toronto for a two-hour friendly debate. Each side gets to pick a topic. So the first hour will be centered on the international banking crisis, and the second hour will be devoted to NASCAR trivia. We have two statistics of the day. The first is, according to the London Times, that automobile dealers in China sold 1.1 million vehicles this March, solidifying China's position as the world's largest car market. I should note, by the way, that I've been toying with the idea of going to China this July to try and make my fifth attempt at seeing a solar eclipse. And after getting reports about the air quality, I'm thinking it's probably going to be a waste of time. I won't see the sun under any circumstances. And I'm sure those will not be helped by adding 1.1 million cars to Chinese roads as of last March. Our bonus stat of the day from WashingtonPost.com is as follows. A glut of stolen credit and debit card numbers is driving down the black market price of illicit financial data. Identity thieves can now make about 50 cents per stolen number, which is down from the as much as $16 per number they were valued at in mid-2007. So yes, folks, things are tough all over. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly.
according to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for riding side saddle. After a Florida man applied for a permit to open a nude dude ranch. And you know, I just can't say the phrase nude dude ranch without thinking of the late Johnny Carson. Because we know he would have done something with that one. Johnny, wherever you are, we we sure miss you. It was a, a bad week last week for tourists after the National Geodetic Survey found that the Four Corners Market, where tens of thousands of visitors have had their pictures taken, allegedly standing simultaneously in Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico, and Utah, is in fact in the wrong place. <laughs> the real Four Corners, according to officials, is located about two and a half miles west of the market, I think up in some sort of ravine. I think this, uh, this secret had first gotten out uh, a couple years back when Google Earth really got going. And finally, it was kind of an ugly week last week for the struggle for civil rights. When it was revealed that the foundation that's building a national memorial to Martin Luther King Jr. reported that it had paid $800,000 in licensing fees to the slain leader's descendants. The Martin Luther King Jr. National Memorial Project Foundation said that the sum was paid to the family for the use of King's image and his words in fundraising solicitations for the memorial, which will be built on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. The family has a history of aggressively asserting ownership rights to King's speeches. The foundation said the fees were not a burden. King's biographer David Garrow, however, said the civil rights leader would have been absolutely scandalized by the profiteering behavior of his children. And uh, as a bonus, we would like to note it was an ugly week a couple weeks before that, also for uh, some unseemly uh, fighting over uh, civil rights leaders. After California filmmaker James Otis, a lifelong admirer of Mahatma Gandhi, uh, put some of Gandhi's uh, items up for sale at auction. These included some round, some of his re- trademark round glasses, leather sandals, and a metal bowl he ate from. Otis had planned to donate the proceeds to a good cause. The Indian government, for its part, reacted with fury, calling the sale an insult to its national heritage. So Otis suggested if the Indian government agreed to devote extra spending to the poor, he'd hand over the items. The government refused. Attempting to come to the, to the rescue then was Indian liquor tycoon Vijay Malia. He, he put up a winning bid of $1.8 million and offered the items to the nation. But apparently the government still wasn't happy, claiming that Malia, a member of the opposition Janata party, was exploiting the episode for political ends. Otis was so disgusted by the bickering at one point, he wanted to annul the sale. Said to Deepak Malgan, writing in the Indian magazine Outlook, Gandhi would surely have appreciated Otis's attempt to draw attention to the poor, but had been horrified by the political posturing. And, as an advocate of temperance, he'd have been distraught at a liquor baron's winning the day. Said Malgan, for all the chest-thumping about national pride, this affair represents a low point in our public life. All right, let's now do our, uh, our new feature on this program, which is Sweeping the Nation, Radio Parallax's Jackass of the Week.
Sometimes we have a competition for this, but I think this week the award goes hands down to Team Sarah, a social networking site of nearly 70,000 Sarah Palin supporters. The group bills itself as being, quote, dedicated to advancing the values that Sarah Palin represents in the political process, unquote. And what are these values, you might ask? Well, in this case, this was a, uh, an alert, an action letter, actually, to members asking them to call the office of Senator Sam Brownback of Kansas in effort to derail the nomination of Kansas Governor Kathleen Sebelius as the president's Health and Human Services Secretary. Yes, folks, just because we're facing an imminent pandemic of swine flu is no reason to rush ahead and put someone in the position of Secretary of Health and Human Services. What do they have against uh, Governor Sebelius? Well, apparently, she's pro-choice. So, sure, hold up the nomination of someone who's going to get in there, roll up their sleeves, and do what they can to fight swine flu, a disease which has already killed at least one child in America because she, in theory supports a woman's right to choose. Very, very smart, Team Sarah. And that's why you're this week's Jackass of the Week. Of course, so when it comes to this kind of stupid political posturing, uh, the supporters of Governor Sarah Palin have nothing over the supporters of uh, the man sure to become the new South African president, Jacob Zuma. Just uh, a few weeks before the election down in South Africa, Jacob Zuma was still under investigation for corruption, but the ANC-dominated government got a top prosecutor fired and dismantled the police unit that was investigating the allegations. We've talked about Jacob Zuma on this show before during a 2006 trial for rape, a charge for which he was eventually acquitted, even though he admitted having unprotected sex with a woman he knew to be HIV positive, uh, earning ridicule in the process by being asked during, by the prosecutor during the trial how he had taken precautions to not get HIV after raping a woman who, well, or having sex with a woman uh, known to be HIV positive. Zuma replied, well, he took a shower afterwards. Yes, the ANC leader Jacob Zuma once proposed that the babies of teen mothers should be seized by the state and has been on record stating he believes that the ANC party has divine blessing to rule until the second coming. Boy, and you think George W. Bush was underqualified to be president. And speaking of presidential underachievers, we can't help but, but mention that the current Paraguayan president, Fernando Lugo has just been hit with a second paternity claim just a week after he admitted fathering a child while he was still a Catholic bishop. So far, President Lugo has not confirmed or denied fathering the second child. Some Paraguayans are calling for Lugo to be excommunicated. How about impeached while they're at it? You know, I didn't really start out intending to do a theme here of uh, politicians behaving badly, but I don't think we can, you know skip the fact that the President Obama has released and repudiated four Bush-era Justice Department memos that gave the CIA legal license to interrogate suspected terrorists. Comment in the New York Times about this, to read these nauseating documents is to take a journey into depravity. 
this probably didn't receive the amount of attention the press it should have. Andrew Sullivan, writing in TheAtlantic.com, asked the question of why was it that Abu Zabaya and uh, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, which admittedly were uh, top al-Qaeda operatives who planned the 9-11 attacks, why was uh, Zabaya waterboarded 83 times and Mohammed 183 times? Well, intelligence officials revealed that uh, Vice President Dick Cheney and Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld were desperate for one of the two men to provide proof of the links between al-Qaeda and Iraq that would have justified the Iraq war. Alas, the al-Qaeda operatives couldn't help them. Despite being reduced to being babbling, broken men pleading for their lives. We're going to talk about this in the show in the future. You know, no one has demonstrated that these... so-called harsh interrogation techniques, uh, torture is a better word, uh, has actually provided good intelligence data because you can, you, can, you can bet your last dollar that if they had, we would know about those specific instances. Again and again and again, interrogators have spoken up and said that, you know, torture does not work at least when it comes to consistently gathering good intelligence. Uh, people who are being tortured will tell you anything. And by that, I mean whether it's true or not. They just want the torture to stop. This is not an area that I can profess to having any expertise in, but we're going to try and find some people who are and and, and discuss this very matter in the months to come. A lot of talk about the fact that President Obama has hit his 100 days in office. There was a nice summary in the Sacramento Bee a few days back on this. And we're going to give President Obama a report card on our website and talk about that uh, probably next week. So far... I'd give him an A minus, which is not a bad average. In some areas, I think he gets an A plus. But we'll talk about that in the future. Last week, our old pal Will Durst had a thing or two to say about Earth Day, and I know that uh, that was last week. But uh, the pledge drive got in the way, so let's let's hear what Will had to say about uh, Earth Day. Thanks, Doug. And today I want to whine about Earth Day. I hate Earth Day. I'm serious. Just like Christmas. One day a year, pretending to care about something other than me, 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 people spraining their arms, patting themselves on the backs for barely remembering to throw an empty beer bottle at a blue bin. And missing. And I'm tired of the politicians with their phony photo ops in front of CGI forests, even though they do everything in their power to stall environmental reform. And I'm tired of the corporations always trying to con us. Earth Day brought to you by Dow Chemical, without whom this event would neither be possible nor necessary. And Mobile Exxon spanning the globe to find new ways to teach fish to breathe oil. Rolling out bogus ads like for deoxin-free shampoo. There's never been deoxins in shampoo. It's like saying sugar-free motor oil. New improved Campbell's tomato soup now without those irritating glass shards. And I'm tired of the naysayers. You'd think that since Obama had rescued science from eight years of being chained in the dungeon that people would at least say nice things about her hair, but you'd be wrong. Hey, we don't know what's causing the greenhouse effect. You're costing jobs. As opposed to costing lives. These people keep lighting matches to see when the pool of gasoline rises above their waists. And I'm tired of the media. 
who can't even get worked up for one freaking day a year, and yeah, that also means me. You, no, not you, I'm proud of you for going the extra mile and getting yourself a bigger blue bin. Now, we're just going to have to work on that aim. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Always good to hear from Mr. Durst. Uh, Let's take a break and come back and talk to Mary Roach, New York Times bestselling author about her latest book, Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 